Good morning. On the heels of the Reformation, somebody asked Martin Luther uh, how he was able to accomplish everything that he accomplished. And I love his answer. He said that all he did was sit in German bars and drink German beer, and the Word of God did all the rest. Um, So, Martin Luther did a lot, but I love that what he focused on was what the Word was able to accomplish. So, that's my hope today also, uh, is that, not that I'm going to sit in a bar and drink beer, uh, but that the Word of God would accomplish everything that He intends by it. So, um, I want to pray one more time for my heart and for yours. Let's pray. Father, I am humbled and thankful for this opportunity. who is sufficient for these things. To be able to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to people who have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. And Father, right now I pray that you would work that the Holy Spirit would go forth and accomplish everything that you intend through the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that all these things, Christ will be glorified and that your people would have a deeper resolve and a deeper joy for knowing him and making him known. I ask all these things for your glory and for our joy and in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, Everybody here, as far as I know, is on the tail end of fall break. Many of you are talking with each other about your beach experience or the fact that you dropped a lot of money to go and worship the Rat King down in Orlando. Um, Talking about peeling skin and sand still in places and things that sand shouldn't be. And I have the opportunity to talk to you about work, about labor, which is, I'm sure, many of you, it's, it's the last thing that you want to think about. You have a, you've had a week of rest, and the prospects of going back to work, to having to deal with supervisors and maybe even subordinates and, and people, um, it's the last thing you want to think about. And uh, if you're upset with the scheduling, you can blame the elders. I'm not the one who decided. Um, but, I mean, in the providence of God, this is where we're at. I don't know if they intended on us here in this passage whenever they set out the schedule for the year. Um, but by God's grace, this is where we are. And I'm, I'm grateful to the elders that I have this opportunity. So I want to say to Eric and to Todd and to Justin, thank you. Uh, It is a blessing and it is a joy to be able to stand up here and proclaim the word. Um, So, Ephesians chapter 6, 
verses 5 through 8. If you'll listen one more time, I'm going to read it. Uh, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or is free. For the past six, seven, eight months, we as a church have been walking through the book of Ephesians. And for the past, minus last week, for the past month, we have spent looking at what a gospel-centered marriage looks like. Understanding what marriage means throughout the, the scope of Scripture, spending time uh, focused on what it means for a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church, uh, as, a, as a wife submits to her husband, as the church submits to Christ. Um, and last week, we took a break from Ephesians. Eric preached a fantastic sermon on being satisfied in Christ. So he's going to let me teach this, preach this, and then he's going to go back and preach gospel-centered parenting, and then he's going to go back over this to what it means to lead uh, well. He's going to do some type of expositional gymnastics, and it will be uh, marvelous. So here we are, looking at labor in Christ, what it means to be a slave, and to do so in a way that, ha- that your work is done for Christ. I think it's amazing whenever we look at Ephesians to see how Paul goes about addressing the people he's addressing the church. Spent a month looking at gospel-centered marriage, and who does he address first? The wives. And then the husbands. Gospel-centered parenting, who does he address first? The children. And then the parents. And today, we're looking at slaves, and then two weeks from now, we're going to look at masters. Paul is showing honor to the one who would be in the subordinate role. Wives are to submit to husbands. But he he addresses wives first. Children are to obey their parents. But he addresses children first. He doesn't address husbands first. He doesn't address parents first. He doesn't address masters first. He addresses slaves first. He's showing honor to the one who's in the subordinate relationship. I also think it's amazing that if you think about the context, if he's addressing slaves in the church at Ephesus, what does that mean? That there were slaves in the church. Maybe there are masters in the church. I I haven't figured it out yet. There's a couple different scenarios. You can have masters with their slaves and they all go to church together. 
you could have masters who were at church and their slaves were at home. Or maybe a third option is you have slaves who allow, I'm sorry, you have masters who allow their believing slaves to go to church. I think those are all the options that you can have. But regardless, what you have is you have slaves as members of the church at Ephesus. And can you imagine that if you were a slave owner, you were a master and you had a household of slaves, let's just say that you're a member of Mission Church Ephesus and it wasn't your turn to set up, so you're able to get here just on time. Everybody got here with minimal fighting in the car or whatever, a chariot or whatever it is on the way here. Nobody, nobody fought. Family gathers together. There's some singing. There's some scripture reading from the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, the elder gets up and he starts preaching and he starts talking about slaves. Could you imagine how the slaves would feel? Would they sit up a little straighter? I mean, we're, we're talking about labor, and the first people who are addressed are the slaves. I think this would be intentionally a little scandalous. Whenever you're talking about labor, he's not addressing the masters. He goes first to the slaves. He goes first to those who are under authority before he addresses to those, those who are in authority. And one of the things that we need to talk about is there's a lot of cultural baggage that, that we come with whenever we think about the term slavery. Um, a lot of people will ask, well, how come Paul doesn't speak out against slavery? He has the opportunity right here, but he chooses not to. Um, that's because slavery was very different than what we're used to. When we hear the word slavery, it comes with a whole context behind it. Our understanding of slavery is essentially that you have um, Africans, men, women, and children who are forcibly removed from their homes, put in bondage, abused, transported to different parts of Europe, uh, America, and sold uh, to be tools, to be, I mean, essentially a very sophisticated instrument that a farmer could use and abuse however he felt. And those tools, if, if it profited the farmer, if it profited the plantation owner to sell those tools, he would. Just, he would do whatever he wanted because they were, um, they had no esteem. That's the type of idea that we have whenever we're talking, whenever we think about slavery. That's not what was happening in Paul's day. In Scripture, um, slavery is Old Testament, New Testament. Um, very different than our understanding of slavery. During Paul's time, slavery had little to do with your ethnicity. You could have slaves from any walk of life. 
and most of the time, slaves were either prisoners of war. So as the Roman Empire expanded, conquered, they would take captives and they would become prisoners of war. You had children who would be abandoned and they would be brought into somebody's home and they would serve as slaves. Or you had people who would um, have a debt that they couldn't repay and so they would indenture themselves to a person and work off that debt. Um, slaves during Paul's time were educated. You had blue-collar and white-collar slaves. You had slaves who could be farmers, be very agrarian, be machinists, be household help. But you also had slaves who could serve as bankers, as doctors, as accountants, as I mean, all of the different white-collar occupations that you can think of in the Roman world. Um, you had the reasonable expectation as a slave that you could either buy your way out of freedom or that you would be free by the time you're 30. That was kind of a general practice. Um, the slavery that we're used to, the only way that you would gain your freedom is if you ran away and, and you went kind of followed the underground railroad railway until you could get north and, and earn your freedom. And you would do so under kind of expectation of death. And kind of the last thing that we should think about whenever we're talking about slavery is not only would the person be able to expect to be free by the time they're 30 or to buy their way out, oftentimes they would have really amazing occupations afterwards. Turn with me to Acts 24. I'm just going to start reading at uh, verse 1. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, uh, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight most excellent Felix... Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. Felix uh, was, was kind of a, a Roman ruler and he is one that um, when Paul was imprisoned, they, they brought Paul to Felix. And Felix kind of went back and forth with Paul for quite a while and uh, just trying to figure out what to do with Paul. You want to know something interesting about Felix? He was a freed slave. From everything I've seen, uh, Felix was, was somebody who was a, a slave under a Roman ruler, earned his freedom, and then was able to go on and serve in a really high position. So the expectation, or the, 
the Roman concept of slavery is very different than uh, our understanding. But here's one thing that we need to remember. It's slavery. I mean, you had little rights. You had, you had no rights. Yeah, you could get your freedom, but in the meantime, um, I've, I've heard it referenced that slaves during this time were considered to be a, an instrument with a soul. You essentially were a tool that could talk. Barely better than, a, than an animal. But you were still sophisticated. I mean, you, you still, uh, it's still better off than what we're used to. But nobody would want to be a slave. Slavery is a, is a last effort. And here, Paul focuses in on slaves. So let's turn back to Ephesians. And he says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, here in this passage... You have six different things that Paul is calling slaves to do. Three pairs, and every one of them is grounded in their view of Christ. Let me show you. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's number one. With a sincere heart. That's number two. The foundation for both of those realities is as you would Christ. Verse 6. Number 3. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So number 4. So 3 is not by way of eye service. That's stated negatively. Number four is as people pleasers. So don't serve as people pleasers. And the foundation of that is but serve as bondservants of Christ. Number five, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man. And then you have this, this, this hope. This hope that is a, a, an eternal hope. In verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So six things that, the, that Paul is calling slaves to do. And every one of them is undergirded by the way that we serve Christ. And what I want to do today is focus in on how we serve Christ and how that undergirds the way that we serve those who are above us. So it, it might sound very unusual. What is, what is a passage on slavery? What does that have to do with me? I'm not a slave. I'm not going to be bought and sold by my supervisor just because he can get 
better out of some, out from somebody else or so that he can make a profit. This passage applies to anybody who is under the oversight of somebody else. You don't have to be a slave. All you have to be is somebody who's under authority. And for the most part, that's everybody in here. The only people I think who may be exempt would be if you're self-employed or if you're retired. But everybody. I mean, I'm thinking from CEO of a company on down. I think CEOs still have people who they report to, stockholders and, and, and other folks. I don't know. I'm not a CEO. But everybody, from stay-at-home moms to custodians to uh, farmers, we all have people who are over us. And I I mean, honestly, I think, just as an aside, I think that stay-at-home moms um, probably have it the worst. Or or moms with young kids, because uh, young kids are tyrannical. I mean, they are dictators. If you don't serve them exactly as they want, when they want, you will know and you will feel the wrath. Other supervisors are more sophisticated, but um, young children are, the, are tyrants. And all the moms say, Amen. Um, so first, Paul assumes two things with each one of these pairs, as you would Christ, as bondservants of Christ, as to the Lord, he assumes, one, that you're serving Christ, and two, that you're serving Christ in the right way. I mean, it would be one thing, I mean, I can stand up here and just say, when it comes to uh, being a good Christian worker, you should do these things. Do it with a sincere heart, not be a people pleaser, uh, not do it by the way of eye service. Um, all, I, can, I can give instructions, but nobody's going to be saved by our work ethic. Satan doesn't care if you work um, with a great work ethic. If you're, if you're serving with a, with a sincere heart, anybody can do that. What's unique for us is that we do it in reference to Christ. We serve out of reverence for Christ. We serve to please Christ, not our supervisor. So before we begin looking at what this labor looks like in terms of those in authority over us, we need to look at how we serve Christ. Who is Christ? Look at the first pair. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. This is verse 5. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. 
my question to us is, do we serve Christ with fear and trembling? Do we serve Christ with a sincere heart? And, and brothers and sisters, I think the, the most beneficial thing that we can do is look at who Christ is. If we're going to have any hope of serving Christ with a sincere heart, with fear and trembling, we have to look long at Christ. So turn, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. It's to your right. We're going to look at the chapters 1 and 2. I love the book of Hebrews. It's my favorite book in all of Scripture. Chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews gives this amazing picture of who Christ is as king. And then chapter 2, it, it points to how he is as, as a priest. So look with me at the first section, chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Look at Christ there. The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his character. This is Christ. This is our King. This is the clearest picture of who we have. All of the authority that Christ has, all the, all the qualities that God has, are in Christ. And what did He do with this? After making purification for sins, he sat, down at the majesty, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here, the writer of Hebrews is drawing attention to Christ's sacrifice. And it's pointing here to his, his sacrifice as a priest. And the, the work of a priest was never done. You could never finish. Uh, it's like laundry. There's always more. I mean... Because the blood of bulls and goats can never atone for sin, priests in the Old Testament had to constantly offer sacrifices. You could never be finished. You could never atone for the failures and for the sin and for the rebellion of the people. And here at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, it talks about the majesty of Christ, the exact imprint of God having the radiance of the glory of God. And as a priest, he makes a sacrifice and he sits down. And all the rest of the first chapter is 
the writer of Hebrews compares Christ to angels. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand? Angels were amazing. Angels bring fear and trembling. They're not these cute little fat babies that are depicted in art. When, when, it, when a person saw an angel in Scripture, their knees buckled and they worshipped. Angels are amazing, sinless beings. But none of them were asked to sit at the right hand of God. But Christ is. And look at chapter 2. Look at verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? For you made him a little while lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So, the writer of Hebrews is saying that because of Christ's condescension, because of Christ's coming down to earth and living among us, he was made for a little while lower than the angels. And what what was the benefit of that? Put everything in subjection under his feet. Look at verse 9. We see him for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So because of the death of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been put in subjection to him. And look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to what? To lifelong slavery. So Christ, the one who is seated at the right hand of God, was made like us, tasted death for us. And what that accomplishes on our behalf is that we would no longer be subject to what the writer of Hebrews says here is lifelong slavery, which is an amazing thing to hear especially if you're a slave. So how do we serve Christ with a sincere heart? You look to him for who he is and what he has accomplished. And out of 
reverence and out of awe, you work and you serve. Not because you have to, but because you get to. You get to serve. You have the opportunity to serve this king, this one who who died on our behalf. We have the freedom to serve. Look at the second set. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but does anybody in here struggle with being a people pleaser? Struggle with fear of man. Struggle with working in order to be seen. This is something that hit me this morning. I, I, was, I, I got up early to prepare for this. And uh, I actually, I mean, I, I woke up early, got ready, left the house, went to Starbucks, and was able to just sit here and focus on this. Finished, went home, and was getting ready. And, and it wasn't until then that it hit me. Am I preparing so that you guys would be pleased? It, it's something I had to, I mean, that is, is definitely something that came from the Holy Spirit. At that moment, it hit me. I had spent hours, uh, Eric asked me uh, maybe a month ago if I would be interested in doing this. And I jumped at it immediately. I've had time to read and study and prepare, and uh, I want to be faithful. I want to do well. I want to honor Scripture. I want to bring glory to Christ. Uh, But in that moment at 7.30 this morning, it hit me. Are you doing this to please people? It's such a slippery thing. It's such a slippery thing to work and to do it out of reverence for Christ instead of doing it to please people. We have expectations on our job, and some of your, your jobs have lots of expectations. There ha- there are, I know some of your occupations, and you have lots of eyes on you. You have bonuses, and you have reviews and evaluations. The temptation to work to please people is high. If you don't please people, you don't hit your marks you're looking for another job. But I want to encourage you. Have your eye on Christ. Not on your supervisor. You work to serve Christ and everything else will work itself out. If that means being let go from a job, trust the Lord to provide. 
but you work to please Christ, not people. Where I work, um, not a glorious job, but it is a job. And there's a temptation when it's an assembly line. And there's this temptation that when things go haywire and everything shuts down, uh, for you to kind of grab a broom and you just kind of hold it. And whenever you see somebody coming by, you start sweeping. That, that's working to please people. You're doing it with an eye so that whenever some, when the right person walks past, they'll have a greater estimation of you than what you were just doing. Working to please people instead of Christ uh, is it's debilitating. You will spend all of your time trying to gain your identity, your self-respect, your worth because of the opinions of others. And those opinions, they will always change. You all, if that's what our motivation is, you have this endless job of trying to please somebody. And it will leave you frustrated. But it's also possible that we serve the Lord this way. It's possible that we have this eye towards God as though we constantly have to perform. As though we constantly have to impress Him. And that any time you slip out of line, He's just angry or disappointed. That is not true. Turn with me to the, the beginning of Ephesians. I want us to see the lavish grace of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. In verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God is not stingy. God is not waiting for you to perform, to meet your marks, in order to receive some extra benefit, some extra kindness towards you. Before the foundation of the world, while you were an enemy, God elected to save you and to call you and to give you an inheritance that is not just a small share. It is lavish. 
He lavished His grace upon us and all wisdom and insight. Look with me at verse 16. Paul's prayer here. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which, you, to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Look at chapter 2. This great gospel passage. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. If you are in Christ, if you are a brother or sister in Christ, this is what we receive. The lavish grace of God. He's not standing in the corner waiting to see how we perform. His grace towards us is endless. And it is not grounded on your performance. And it's because of this, because we don't have to earn God's kindness, because we don't have to earn God's blessing or His love, that we are free to serve. We're free to serve supervisors who are jokers. I mean, I don't know if you work with any of them. I've seen plenty. All the Hope House guys are snickering. Um, but because of his goodness towards us, we are free to serve, not as people pleasers but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. The last place that I want to turn, I'm just going to reference, is Philippians chapter 2. I want to encourage you to take your time this afternoon to just look at the, the glory of Christ and the humility of Christ. And Philippians chapter 2 talks about how we have this mind of Christ among us who did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And he, it says that he even took on the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he died on our behalf. And because of the humiliation, because of his humble death, Christ was exalted. That God exalted Christ so that every name on heaven 
but that everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth would praise Christ. We have Christ as king in Hebrews. Christ as king and priest. You see that he is the exact imprint of the glory of God, the radiance of who God is. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For our behalf, we have a king, but we also have a servant. We are able to serve uh, those over us because we have someone beyond them. We have Christ himself. And we're able to serve because we have this model. We have somebody who has served perfectly on our behalf and who, uh, by the grace of God, empowers us with the Holy Spirit so that we can faithfully serve. And we can do it in a way that brings glory to God, brings honor to Him, and in a way that, that serves everyone around us You serve Christ in this way. And the way that your supervisor is served is is going to be exalted. He's going to be, he or she is going to be edified. But our eye is on the way that we serve Christ, not on the way that we serve the person in the position. That's my hope, is that whatever position the Lord has you in, that you serve with Christ in mind, serve in a way to bring Him honor, serve in a way that doesn't seek um, God's goodness towards you as though you have to earn it, but because of His lavish grace that's been gifted to you, through those two motivating forces, we'll be able to serve those in, in, in our community. And that's how the glory of Christ goes forth. Let's pray.